Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with each of us today. And Lord, you have given us your word. You have given us your, your wisdom. You've given us everything that you want us to know if we are just attentive enough to hear it. And so we ask that you be with our teacher today, Bob. Bless him. Give him a spiritual blessing. Give him wisdom. Help us to be uh, to soften each of our hearts that we will learn and understand your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, today, nothing, huh? Well, that's why we couldn't find it. I thought I was getting old, but I'm not. Uh, Okay, John 9. Anybody have any questions about the last time we discussed this? Let's go to that slide. We was what I was asking about and contemplating. And we talked a little bit about, we believe this is the correct reading, we. But why say we when Jesus is the one who's the light of the world? But what he said here, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. So Jesus' status as the one coming into the world whose very essence is truth and light and grace and, and the things we've learned in, earlier in John 1, 1 through 18, if, we're, if we've read that and contemplated it, that's unique to Christ. But last week, we were, or two weeks ago, we were looking at what does it mean to work the works of God? That's from John 6. And what did we learn? Anybody remember? Yeah, you got a mic there, Eric, if you want to chime in. Uh, 629, believe in the one who he sent. Yeah, so I'm suggesting that's important to interpreting John 9. And that there's a contrast between the guy in John 5 who did not believe and this fellow who we know if we've read the whole chapter does. So there's a work of God that's unique to Messiah who is fully human and fully God who's the one uniquely coming into the world which asserts his pre-existence and those who believe are doing the work of God. They're believing on Messiah. And then some of you, I hope you're working your way toward a understanding of what the main point of John 9 is. But let's, let me help all of us a little bit. The point is to believe, obviously. That's John, what, what did we study last time? John twenty thirty one. So, John told us his main point for the whole gospel is to believe. But John 9 is about being blind, being healed, and light, and seeing, and not seeing, and things like that. So, 
the work of God, and I cited Dr. Uh, Michaels, who said that he believed that we there is both Jesus and the blind man. Because he's going to do the work of God in contrast to the guy in John 5, who you would have thought could do something like that, but didn't. Let me see what I got. Okay, let's go to this. Somebody asked me about this last week. I want to make it easy to understand. My goal is to accurately teach the details to help us know how to read, to be better at understanding what the author said, but also to be able to easily remember it and apply it. And so I had mentioned last week that I believe there's a conscience and author-intended contrast between John 5 and John 9. Because I'm going to ask for a reader here. Who wants to read a Bible verse? Look one up and read it. Anybody? Eric over here. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. I have a slide called Bitter or Better. Okay, uh, Isaiah 35. 5 and 6. 5 and 6. This is NASB. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the Arabah. So there is, I believe, a Messianic prophecy. So when Messiah comes, notice there's different categories, the blind, the deaf, the lame. But two of those are covered in John 5 and John 9. So Messiah came to a guy in John 5. And he was waiting, believing that an angel would come and stir the water and the first one in gets healed. But somebody always got there before him. Remember we read that last week? And uh, the guy never did repent. He never did care about Jesus or believe in him. In fact, it seemed like he preferred to complain than to be healed. 38 years I've been laying here. I'm always a day late and a dollar short. That's modern English. Somebody else gets it. You know, people, if they don't know any better, they think that God's going to run out of blessings. Right? If God blesses somebody else, obviously he made me pay for it. That's what this guy believes. And I've, in since the early 70s, thousands of people think that way. When we did counseling in the 70s and 80s, I used to say the bitter and better to a lot of people. I'd ask them, do you want to get better or do you want to get bitter? And I think a lot of false teaching makes people bitter 
because they, it says it's somebody else's fault that you got problems. You're like this because some third generation ancestor nobody knows did something and now you're paying for it. And unless you get a shaman who can access the world of the spirits to find out what that is, then you just got to sit there. That's how this guy thought. But even when he was healed, nothing changed in his soul. Because now he lost his reason to complain. And I have met dozens and dozens of people that if he asked them what Jesus asked, do you wish to get well? They, they, they're not even sure. Not if I, I'd rather complain. So somebody asked me two weeks ago what it was I said, because it's easy to remember. Can you remember bitter or better? Amen. Can you remember John 5 and John 9? Amen. So let's look at it. After these things, the healed man, the lame, he's as much proof of the mess. Jesus is the Messiah because he was one of the lame that should have been leaping for joy, but he never did that. He didn't leap like a deer. There was no shout of joy. It's like, I don't have a man. How many people say that? I don't have a man. Nobody ever helps me. Somebody else has it better. That's one way to look at life, but it won't ever give you the joy of the Lord. Thousands of times in the 80s, I asked people, do you want to get bitter or better? Do you really want God to change your life? Eric. I take, take off a little bit on the, uh, what our work is, is to believe in Jesus. Yes. And I've mentioned before, I have this in my mind, that the Hebrew concept of belief is not like the Greek concept and our concept in our modern era where we mentally assent to something, but we don't do anything about it. I think the Hebrew concept was if you believe, you act on that. So belief implies some sort of change in your life. And that's one reason why he did not believe. He he didn't want to change. Well, if you don't believe in Messiah, your sins aren't forgiven. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not doing the work of God. Remember John 6. It reinforces this. John is so fantastic. John 6, how, how glorious is it? Jesus multiplies the bread, remember? So what did they want to do? Make him king. We want a king. We want to go make you king. And then just read it. Remember, they, he just left. They didn't want a Messiah or to believe on Messiah. They want somebody to make free bread. Now, see, we think maybe like modern Americans, bread is so cheap. And you can work. I don't know. I don't know. Let's say you make 10 bucks an hour and you go to Aldi and you get bread for a dollar. Right? Most people make way more than that. Does anybody's pocketbook hurt when you get a loaf of bread for a dollar? Mine doesn't. But you're not living back then. The crop failure and getting bread was most of what life was about. Don't labor for bread that perishes, but bread that 
goes on to eternal life. And once they had bread, they, you can be king, give us free bread, we'll keep voting for you. Not that they voted for the king. And so he walks on water. Now, has anybody ever done that before? Peter tried. He almost got a little bit. Master, I perish. There's a reason for these things. We need to know what the author's telling us. If you had a king and you could walk on water, but you have no faith in God, you will perish. You will not have eternal life. You will not be pleasing to God. You will not go to heaven. You will not worship God in eternity. The work of God is to believe on him whom the Father sent. So Jesus did things that are prophesied in the Old Testament. People saw it. The evidence was there. The lame walked. There was the joy of Messianic salvation. The blind see. God came on the scene of history. He's just not a someone who was an ordinary person, virgin-born, sinless son of God, who proved who he was. And the guy who was healed, 38 years laying there, that's the guy that did it. Go blame him. Can you imagine? 38 years. I can't walk. You're healed. Pick up your pallet and walk. He told me to do it. Somebody else's fault. Learn the lesson. I challenge me and everyone who hears this. This is a good way to think. Do you want to believe in Messiah and have forgiveness of sins and worship him and serve him? Or would you rather be bitter? Find someone to blame. Now, John 938 is obvious given the interluding chapter 6, 7, and 8. He healed the blind man. That he, the healed blind man, that's my comment. So we get the context. Said, Lord, I believed and he worshiped him. Here's one. Who did the work of God? The man in John 5 or the man in John 9? Nine. Is that John's point? Yes. Yes. You can work, 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 work. And if you don't believe in Messiah, you'll just get lost and bitter and fall short. You never do enough. The message of every religion in the world, try harder to do more. The message of Christ is, believe on me. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Right after John 9.38, John 9.39 is, And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. But then it says, And those who see may become blind. Interesting that... Good reading. That's people... Here we are. ...who think they're in the light, but they're really not. Hold on. Read, Read that again. Oh, okay. I think you got it right, but let's... Those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. You get an A. That's the main point of this whole chapter. I didn't want to say it until I heard... I think Ryan was saying it the other day, too. Did anybody else come to that conclusion? Yep. The, the point of nine, see? If we go to 
the, the main point of the whole gospel. That's uh, John 20, 31. Do you have that back there, Eric? Who has John 20, 31 quickly that could read it and can get a mic? Okay, got Eric Dalma here. Let's see here. There we are. Yeah, here it is, 2030. Yeah, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Every John is in some ways easy. He tells us his main point, but not till the end. So I used to think Luke and uh, Hebrews are, and they are, they're fantastic. They have the most sophisticated Greek. John's Greek is very simple, but he's just as logical and profound, and he does the same thing, only with simpler language. The last point tells us we can assume everything else is making other points that lead us to that conclusion. So you're the first one to read it, uh, Brian. The main point, you may not have known it was the main point. I'll take you out for coffee. Ryan and Craig were talking about it the other day to me after I preached. Would you guys agree that that's the main point? Yep. Let me, at this point now that we've, as a class, I didn't want to say it until somebody else read it and saw it. It was a good reading. Now let me tell you how I got it wrong the first time. The first test that I had in learning how to read was about Luke 5. And in Luke 5, there's a narrative about the fishermen and Jesus getting in a boat and going out, and they're trying to catch fish. Remember that? And these were seasoned fishermen that knew what to do. And they said, we fished all night, caught nothing. He said, put your net on the other side. And you remember this catch of fish was so great. Now, could somebody quickly find that that would be able to read it for us? So my memory isn't the only source. As I remember, Peter's response was, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. That's in Luke 5. But I trust the printed page more than my memory. Over here, bring the mic. Uh, it's Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That's it. Now, is there any other incident like that that, if, given the Old Testament prophecies and things that happened, did that ever happen anywhere else that Peter may have been thinking about? Or that the reader is supposed to, yes. Would that be the, oh. 
Would that be the Isaiah 6? You got it. Man of unclean Isaiah lips. 6. Depart from me. Good reading. Very good. More coffee. More free coffee. Oh, man. Make a lot of coffee. We've got a good class. Very talented. I read that. And then I wanted to be really sophisticated, so I got off the Greek, and, which I wasn't very good at because I hadn't studied it for almost 20 years. And I went back to Luke 4.18, which I believed was the main point, which it is. And that was an allusion to Isaiah. And I wrote this paper, and I thought everything from Luke 4.18 to 5.8 was proving the deity of Christ. Okay? But I, I didn't get a good grade for... The real point was... You want to keep the mic over by... Miss, <laughs> I'm running out of names here, and I shouldn't. I'm sorry. That's okay. I've not uh, really known you for 10 years. Do you want me to reread the Luke 5.8? Yes, go yeah. ahead. Uh, Tell your name just yeah, so I don't feel so embarrassed. Barb. Barb Gretsch. Uh, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And keep reading. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Uh, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. That's the point. You shall be fishers of men. That's the point. It was right there in the text. And I was trying to be too sophisticated. And... Assuming everything that happens has to only be the main point. But Luke is very sophisticated. And that idea that you'll be fishermen of men is an allusion to Isaiah 6, 2. I mean, also. Because what does it say? Well, Isaiah 6 was Isaiah's call narrative, right? Do you want to comment, Eric? Amen. You're exactly right, Bob. In fact, um, I think Isaiah 6 may be a little bit of a backdrop to these passages in John. And the reason I say that, if you look at Isaiah 6.10, notice the commission of Isaiah. His commission by God is to preach the gospel, and it's to make the heart of the people dull, make their eyes heavy so they're blind, and make their ears so that they do not hear. So, his preaching, this is the prophet of God. His commission is to preach so that the people don't see and they don't hear. Well, now Jesus comes on the scene. He is the prophet par excellence. John eight forty three. they do not hear. John 9, the religious leaders don't see. The same thing that happened in Isaiah's day is now happening the in Jesus' day. The judgment of hardening. Right. But for those that he regenerates, they see the light. And that's right. exactly why uh, Brian hit the main point of the passage. The sent, and, and in, yeah. in the Luke case, the, the sent part was what was important. It always making his point. So the main point, John twenty thirty one, everything else is leading us to understand it. I was listening to our podcast on Hebrews uh, to, to write a longer description. It was a, I, well, I, I don't know when they broadcast compared to when I did it, listen to it. But there was a point that I had forgotten. Kenneth Bailey called this 
a theological cluster. It's a great way to describe it. It is a, it's a bunch of points that are contributing to one main point. So, yeah, you, I admit, now we have John 9. Well, there was the mark, blind Bartimaeus was proving Jesus gives sight to the blind. And Luke 5 is an allusion back to Isaiah 6. This is all grounded in the Old Testament. Now, I think there's something special and unique about John 9 that goes beyond that. Let's think about that. So, what about you and I? Do we want to get better or bitter? Now, when I was sitting in the hospital reading this, because I had nothing but a paper Bible, I read this section, and I wanted to know what this mud was about. And all I could think of is what I remember. And I wanted to know why there was such a big deal about the works of God, the Sabbath, and Sabbath law. And why does Sabbath keep coming up? Okay, Sabbath is found throughout John 9 and all of John. And Jesus is always accused of being a Sabbath breaker. So let me read D.A. Carson about that. The consensus amongst the rabbis, too, was that God works on the Sabbath, for otherwise providence itself would weakly go into abeyance. About the end of the first century, four eminent rabbis, and he lists them, one was Akiba, discussed the point, included that, and concluded that although God works constantly, now this is drawing on Jewish understanding of what constitutes work. Since one, the entire universe is his domain, so you couldn't bring anything outside your domain. Well, that's the whole universe. Two, otherwise put, God fills the whole world, Jeremiah 23, 24. And in any case, God lifts nothing to a height greater than his own stature because he's bigger than anything that could ever be lifted and there's no dimension to God. That was a commentary on Exodus 30. So well, however they conceived of work, it couldn't apply to God. That's what they believed. But the, the one that's really interesting is the idea that obviously God works because he holds the whole universe together. And that point is made in John 1, 1 through 18. So God can't be charged as a Sabbath breaker, whatever he does. And so when Jesus is called a Sabbath breaker, that's an expression of unbelief. Okay. Now, when I researched this, I found that there's arguments about this all through the New Testament. How come they allowed circumcision on Sabbath, but not carrying a pallet? Well, the eighth day command for circumcision was more important. So therefore you could do that. So they disputed about what is work on Sabbath and who's a Sabbath breaker. And so they conclude that Jesus is a sinner and he's in rebellion against God's law. 
so he's not the Messiah, and therefore there's no good reason to believe him. But Jesus' claim was made earlier in John 5. One greater than Moses is here. Moses prophesied about Messiah in Deuteronomy 18. This has to be understood. If we don't understand this, we will be deceived. We will trust man's traditions. We won't understand the Bible. We won't want to learn because we don't understand and we're not trying. I, I, I have to deal with this. The traditions of man destroy faith over and over and over again. We cannot be wrong because, by definition, we're right. Oh, <laughs> well, we believe in Scripture alone, but if you say anything that disagrees with our creed, you're out. Well, we believe in the priesthood of every believer, but how dare you try to exercise it? If you compare our creed to scripture, we'll throw you out of the church. What makes these people any less Pharisees than the ones we're talking about here? Can we learn anything? And here's something that I've seen my entire life. If you do believe the promises of God and that Jesus and his apostles speak for God and you do by God's grace trust him to change your life so that you're better rather than bitter you will be persecuted you will be told that God is angry with you you will lose your family sometimes and we'll learn that in John 9. You will be thrown out of churches. I had a sermon recently. Didn't we expel? Remember that one? Expelled for obeying God? Oh, you came from John the Apostle. We don't like him. I want to be preeminent. You're out. Ekbalo, same word for casting out demons. Oh, the messenger sent from John the Apostle is no better than a demon. Out! We're reading ahead. Let's go ahead. Reviews and previews. Well, I got to get to the mud. That's our topic. Mud in his eyes. You've read this before. Why did his parents not want to answer their questions? Remember they said, he's of age, ask him. He can speak for himself. John... They did not want to be thrown out. They would be thrown out. That happens to anybody in any church. If they don't believe in the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer. And when we needed to change a lot of things because we saw that things were harming people and were not biblical... I couldn't think of anything but the authority of Scripture and the priesthood of every believer. I recently wrote about that. You can't argue against it if you're a Protestant. Eric, could you read this John 9, 6? It says, Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud 
with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, this is verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, this one has been debated for centuries. Why the mud? And what's John's point? And so I was sitting in the hospital, and I was thinking about just reading, and I remembered the issue of Sabbath. So I turned to Genesis 7. Let's go down to that. I'll I'll put that slide up. But water would come up. This is Genesis 2, 6, and 7. No, Genesis 2, 6, and 7. That's what I meant. The water would come out of the ground and water the entire surface of the land. Then the Lord formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And then the man became a living being. I was thinking, I knew there was two creation accounts in Genesis, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And the one in Genesis 2 happened right after this mention of Sabbath again. Could Norm turn to Genesis 2 and just read 1 through 5? I read 6 and 7. Okay, Genesis 2, 1 through 5. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field was yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Right, and then it says water came out of the ground. So after Sabbath, Genesis 2 is another creation account. It's not contradictory, but it's making a different point, which was why humans had priority. So in this account, the, the mention of humans comes first. And then Adam names the animals. Okay. So here I am, finally well enough in the hospital to think straight. And nothing but a Bible, so I'm reading it. And I went back to Genesis 2. Well, maybe the point is the same one made in John 5 that God is working until now, and I'm working. God can't be a Sabbath breaker. The creation count in Genesis 2 comes after Sabbath is already declared. And not to contradict John 1, but it's a different thing to learn. And then why make mud? Well, the dirt in Genesis 2 was always mud. That's how I read it. The water's coming from the earth. So that all there was was mud. And I knew that Genesis 2-7 was alluded to later 
when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, Genesis 1 talks about the Spirit hovering. But here we have Jesus, I believe, and here I sit in the hospital. Never could understand it. I don't even know if I got it right now. You can practice the priesthood of every believer always. I'm just telling you why I started thinking about this. It was, what could it be but mud? And so a lot of the comments over the years was that spit was unclean according to the Jewish tradition. So how could Jesus do something unclean? And he's already considered a Sabbath breaker. And I, I hadn't even thought of that till later. But I thought, no, this is a creative miracle. The reason he's blown blind and the reason this isn't breaking Sabbath because God created in the Genesis 2 account after Sabbath. Okay, because he's the creator, not to neglect Genesis 1, which is making its own point. That this was proof of the prologue in John 1, 1 through 15, 18, that Jesus is the creator who came into the world. And the fact that the man was born blind and nobody ever heard of that is even greater than healing somebody who had become blind because he had no faculty that ever worked. So it's a creative miracle. Norm. Besides them not not, uh, thinking that he should heal on the Sabbath, I think maybe the idea of mixing spit and and clay together. I was considered work too because it was like kneading and they considered yeah. couldn't and, and it involves something unclean. Yeah. It's good. Let me uh, read some sources that I looked up after I got out of the hospital and after I thought about this way of teaching, helping us learn how to read. Uh, here's Leon Morris. His commentary is a little older. Some of the patristic writers heard in the mention of month a reference to Genesis 2-7 where man is made out of dust of the earth. If this is the right way of viewing the passage, says Morris, we are to discern in Jesus' action a work of creator. Now what happened between Michael's that also talks about that which is a 2010 commentary I used Morris the first time I studied John years ago here's what happened some of the different scholars write in the theological journals disputed that we should even pay any attention to what Irenaeus wrote who was an early church writer I read Irenaeus when I was in Bible college Because he was writing against the Gnostics, against heresies. So he had ulterior motives. So we cannot trust his, what he says about it. He was trying to prove the Gnostics were wrong. But here's what, that's why I like this Michaels that I wasn't even going to buy until I got a good deal on it. But here's the logical fallacy. Irenaeus interpreted this this way to refute the Gnostics, so we can't trust anything he says. 
But Michaels rightly said, wait a second. If somebody in church history can be assumed to have bad motives, that doesn't prove that the interpretation is wrong. He could have had a right interpretation that he was using for wrong motives, but if it's right or not, we have to determine by the evidence. And that's a better reading, okay? And Michael said, well, the Genesis account uses the expression dust from the earth. Then he quotes the Greek, kun, ano, taste, gase, rather than mud or clay, play on. See Job 10.9 in the Septuagint. Remember that you were formed as mud and you are returning to earth, which is what Job said, play on, looking at the Septuagint. Here's the point. If this is a good reading, it's a good reading, even if Aeneas was questionable. It's not right because he said it, but it's not wrong because he said it. If you find a Roman Catholic creed way, way back that says that there's a trinity, does that prove the doctrine of the trinity is false? No. That's faulty logic. It's guilt by association. The Bible teaches the doctrine of the trinity. And that's why we always go back to the Bible. Now, born blind is a repeated theme in John 9 as the uniqueness of of the miracle about to happen. John knows what he's doing. How many different people said, we've never heard of a man? Yes, back to Lonnie. Um, I, I just got a question. Uh, backing up a ways, uh, this, you were talking about in Genesis 2. Now, maybe I misunderstood you. You said something about uh, God creating after the Sabbath? I, I didn't quite understand No, just in, in, in how it reads, not in absolute chronological time. The Bible right. writers aren't, I mean, it's pretty obvious to anybody who read it, that Genesis 1 is a creation account. Yeah. And Genesis 2 is a creation account. Right. Both of them are true. Right. But they may be making a different point. Well, yeah. We can't. That's one of the things I learned. From okay, I, from I guess I misunderstood. I'm what, not what saying there were two saying. different creations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just. Okay. But they're emphasizing different points. Well, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, Genesis one's emphasizing that everything was created by God, and here's how He did it. Genesis two is emphasizing the primacy of human beings created in the image of God. So they come first. Both things are true. What is what we do that makes people think the Bible is wrong, and we shouldn't do this, is impose unrealistic standards that the only history that's reliable is only chronological and never anything else. Remember all the time I spent on what Luke meant by consecutive order? to show that's not how he was looking at it. The travel narrative from Luke 9 all the way to Jerusalem is how Luke tells an important point. And it's a massive chiastic structure. structure. In John, Jesus is in Jerusalem over and over again. They don't contradict. They're making a different point.
You can say the same thing about any history ever written. Because you might read a book about revivals in America. It doesn't have to, it may cover revivals in England, New England, or revivals on the West Coast. I have a book like that. It doesn't have to be chronological. A lot of times we're trying to make a point. All writers do, yes. I come away again and again from uh, to the same thing, and that is to believe anything, you have to have you have to be able to say, "Can I believe it?" And also, you have to say, "Will I believe it?" And we have talked to people who are confirmed unbelievers, and they can look at the Bible and they want to find anything that they can, including like, oh, there's two creation accounts, so that's a contradiction, where they just will ignore the plain evidence that this is an elaboration on on the first, you know, and that's the way Hebrew storytelling is done. And, and, yeah. and, and you find that in life and, and with unbelievers. I read the Bible as an unbeliever. I read parts of the Bible as an unbeliever, and I wanted to find every excuse I could not to believe because I did not want to believe. So both of those elements, can I believe and will I believe, it's the mind and the heart. They both have to be there to come to faith. Well, and it's a work of God to believe, and I believe God does that by grace. But, but he doesn't ask us to believe against the evidence. He asks us to believe because of the evidence. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to go back a little right. bit here, too. Um, Bob, you said that uh, in the second creation account that the earth was mud, right? And what else could it well, be there, mud? Well, it was just mist coming about the ground. There, there we go. Because uh, in Genesis 1-9, you know, he separated the waters and, you know, and the earth, you know, it was dry ground, it says. And then Genesis 2-7, the, the, the scripture that we're looking for, says that man was made out of the dust of the ground. So it, it just, it's a really, it doesn't matter about the point. You know, it's definitely uh, a reference and it shows that God Christ is the creator. He used the ground. But right. just picking a little bit here when, you know, just trying to clarify a little bit because there had to be some dry ground. It, I, it really stuck in my ears when you said that the earth had to be mud. And I'm thinking, well, well no, what you know, about the, point, the dry ground and what about the dust? You no, know, wait, so but that's, it's a picky Genesis point. 1 is a different account. Yes, but it's in 2 7, it says, 2 7 it says from the dust of the ground, right? So right, that's but then I quoted and, and, Michael's pointing out. Well, the Genesis account used the expression dust from the ground. Yeah. Zuan, ano, taste gaze rather than mud or clay. Pleon, Job 10.9, remember you formed me from mud. And so the, right, the Hebrew writers weren't trying to make a clear distinction. It's a range of meaning. And, yeah. The fact is the water came as mist from the ground. Right. No rain we don't until. have to try to decide whether they needed to tile the land before they could plant. Yeah, right, right. That's no, not the, the point. No rain until uh, until uh, uh, the flood. It was it, correct until Genesis. Yeah, it's just, there's a theological seven. point. Yeah. Yes. Here's what used to just drive me nuts. When I was in a liberal church, they said there are no miracles. Mm. There's no... <laughs> Okay, three different pastors told me there's no miracles. The Bible doesn't mean what it says that we just need to be better people. 
Well, then so much of evangelicalism was a reaction to that. And so we didn't read the way we should because we had to fight the liberals. You know, so we want to try to make everything seem plausible to the modern mind. But the the way I teach, and I'm going to be right with you, here is the... Here's the point. God has inspired the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. It is inerrant. It is authoritative. It is binding. But why shackle writers with rules that we don't even follow in modern life? You know, well, there's a contradiction. There's a contradiction. There's a contradiction. Well, you can read two different stories written by eyewitnesses about the last election. Do you think you can find contradictions, seemingly? Some are saying, wow, finally we got a great leader. Others saying, this is apocalypse, end of the world. Well, you can find that, but they're trying to make a different point. Nobody's saying there really is a different president than who really is. But the biblical writers are telling Jewish people and Greek-speaking Jews and in the Greeks who were saved in Asia Minor and so on, this is what God did, yes. Um, I'm, I don't know if this is me reading into this, but it's just, I think of God coming down and not even so much as having a drop of water when he himself is the one that flooded the entire planet. Right. And here he had to use his own spit to make mud, but it, he didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't have a drop of water to make, you know, to make mud. I don't know if water was, water was probably not overly available, but again, you know, if it's me reading into it, so be it. But well, I just think of the humanity of Christ coming down. Well, the Bible teaches both, doesn't it? The deity and humanity of Christ. Here's a good point. I believe God uses means, right? But what is John trying to tell us? I believe he's telling us that Jesus did a creative miracle that only God could do. Because they're all saying the same thing. It's never, ever been heard of that a man born blind had ever been healed. Thank you. Yes. Well, I think it's as simple as God created man out of the dust of the earth and he re- symbolically recreated the man's eyes with the, mud, the dust of the earth. Exactly. I think that's the point. And then he goes and now Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. John eight twelve, John three nineteen. This is the judgment. Look at John three nineteen and think about it. John three nineteen. This is the judgment. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. I believe, now, Brian, you're the first one to read the main point. Those who are seeing are made blind, and those who are blind see, right? That's foreshadowed in John 3.19. Light and seeing are obviously connected. If you're blind from birth, what do you what do you see? Nothing. 
What does he see now? Jesus is the light of the world, because he just mentioned that, didn't he? I am the light of the world. So we, we want to think about, I don't know what all I had here, but better or better doing God's work. That's it. That was about right. Why did he go wash? Passage isn't that hard, in my opinion. Water and light are thematic in John 7 and 8. At the Feast of Tabernacles, two things that were emphasized were water and light. Here's something else that happens in John 8, right before John 5. Jesus comes to people who said they believed, and he says to them, if you may know, stay put, as my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they said, well, no, we've never been in bondage. We won't admit we need to be made free. And you know what happened? They told him later he was a devil. This is a bitter fight against Jesus. Believers fighting Jesus. They were the seeing who became blind. The blind, blind from birth who became bitter, better rather than bitter is the blind who sees. There's a powerful message there. If you don't think you need anything from God, you're blind. No matter how well you see it. I can see, I can even see the minute hand clear. I could not see that before this cataract surgery. And I don't get a cut if anybody else has the surgery. But I'm way across the room. I can even see the second hand going around. I can see. Yes, Ryan. I was thinking about this bitter and better and washing. I was kind of reminded of in the Old Testament, there was the leper, right? And he came to be healed in Israel because he heard there was a prophet of God. And the prophet said, go wash Oh, yeah. Jordan. Yeah, good one. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to go wash in the Jordan. We got better rivers, you know, where I came from. And But then I think it was his servant. His servant said, said, well, what do you well, have to lose, right? Yeah, do you, do you believe God? Why why not do these things? And, you know, this is kind of the same thing that he was told to wash. Well, why would putting mud on my eyes and going washing in this pool make me well? But he did believe, and he yeah. did do it, and he was healed. Very good reading, Ryan. And uh, that shows, that's a good reading. That's means of grace believe the promises of God the guy the, the leper thought well the I wanted some grandiose thing and the guy wouldn't even come out and see me why don't you just go do it believe let's pray thank you Lord that we can learn together help us read better and continually affirm that your word is true and powerful authoritative and inerrant and then learn how to read it so that we might see rather than be blind. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you upstairs in a bit.